So I think I think marketing has the opportunity to be more flexible and, and should be going after a broader audience that sales can then sort of take into uh, their conversations and further B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism, scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B marketing, the provocative truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by CEO of Raconteur, Will Brooks. Now, Will, I've known you for probably around eight years, and obviously I've tracked your meteoric rise to being CEO of Very publishing kind. giant raconteur, but I won't do it justice. So 30 seconds, intro yourself to the audience. Sure. Um, hi, everyone. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Will. I'm the CEO of Raconteur. For those not aware, Raconteur is a, me- a B2B media brand. So um, we have two kind of major stakeholders within our business. The first is our audience, who we produce content for in order to inform their decision making. So it's it's not news that we publish. We're not interested in so-and-so's moved from one job to another. It's very much taking a deep dive into the the, the subjects and the uh, sectors, sorry, the, the topics that affect all business. Um, and, and our goal is to help our readers, senior business leaders, ultimately make better decisions in their own businesses. Uh, and then from a from a client point of view, uh, we work with B2B brands to help them essentially reach and influence those audiences. Good. And I'm pleased that you gave that explanation because we are making an exception having a CEO and not a CMO <laughs> on. But you, yep. I feel you've made your case well enough. So that's that's good. Now, you will be familiar, familiar as a committed listener to B2B Marketing the Provocative Truth that we always start with a provocative truth to kick us off. Um, and today we're going to be talking around something which I don't think gets enough consideration within um, marketing, and that's decision making. Um, now, yes, marketers, I think, pay lip service to the ideas. But my provocative truth to you is that still marketers have quite a naive understanding of the real dynamics of decision-making within organizations. And whilst there might be an appreciation of the involvement, say, of the finance team or the procurement team, when it really comes down to it, um, marketers are thinking about singular audiences first and foremost. So if you're trying to sell some, a MarTech product, you're going to be just focusing in on marketers. If you're trying to sell a finance solution, you're just focusing on CFOs and you're not seeing that bigger picture. Is that something that you agree with? Definitely. Um, the topic around business decision making is, I would say, I've had a long term love affair with, for want of a better word. Uh, my second confession, obviously I'm a CM- CEO rather than a CMO, but my background is also B2B sales rather than B2B marketing. But I think- We'll any- dial that down because <laughs> you're just talking your way out of the seat right now. Any, so. Anyone that works in sales or marketing in a B2B capacity, if you're not thinking about how the people you want to do business with actually make decisions, you know, from a sales perspective, that's about- Thinking about how am I, you know, how do I, how does my sales process work? How am I going to tweak my approach to the different types of companies I need to sell to, different types of roles, different types of personality types? From a, from a marketing perspective, it's 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 very similar. It's just you're you're communicating in a less direct fashion. But my my true belief is, if you're not obsessing about how you know the the folks on, on the other side are making decisions around what you do, the the service or the product you sell, then I don't quite know what you're doing. Um, and yeah, from a from the other side of the um, coin, I suppose, 
the number of times brands approach us and just say, look, I want to produce uh, 100 or 200 or 300 leads for CFOs of certain types of companies in certain types of areas. Um, can you do that for me? Uh, and you, you reply with a, why CFOs? There's, there's not enough there. There's not mm. enough understanding about the role that, say, a CFO plays in their buying uh, journey. Um, and I think absolutely it's true that marketers, B2B marketers especially, should do a lot more, uh, put a lot more thought in to understanding that before trying to execute anything. So you, you gave there um, a hypothetical situation. Somebody comes in, they want to target CFOs. You ask that question, why? Now, what are the other questions or what's the other sort of guidance that you would give a marketer coming to you to help them sort of appreciate that wider landscape potentially that they need to consider? Well, I, th I, th I think it's, it's about going back to square one. It's, you know, who are you? What do you do? What product and service do you mm. offer? What value do you bring to your marketplace? Subsequently, who is likely to be involved in the consideration of that product or service? Um, what, you know, job roles will they play? Which functions will they sit in? Um, potentially go further and think about what personality types typically uh, sit within those types of roles. Um, when you start thinking about it in that way, everything gets much more complex from a marketing communications point of view. Um, but I think I think the key is really starting at that baseline, doing that research, that analysis, um, making some conclusions that you can then build stuff upon thereafter. Um, but for me, it's 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 always a case of, a case of just asking, you know, talk me through your buying cycle mm -hmm. you know who's involved who's typically involved who do your sales team find it easy to sell to who do they find it more difficult to sell to who's typically a champion who's typically a blocker if you, if you start mapping out in that way then you can come on to the kind of marketing and comms strategy after that and i think be a lot more effective yeah. with it from from my experience when i've been consulting marketers certainly doing sort of audience profiling work we will typically will identify what we're calling the primary audience, and then we might identify a secondary audience and, and a tertiary audience. Um, but I think in practice, um, the focus just all ends up on the the, the primary audience. Yep. Do, you, do you think that actually the whole concept of primary, secondary, tertiary is slightly obsolete now, given that decision-making is interconnected? Uh, I think the lines between them are certainly more blurred than, than primary, uh, secondary, tertiary make out that they are. Um, I also think modern marketers are probably just obsessed around the part of that mix that, that leads to sales. But we all know as, as businesses, we have different stakeholder groups. Mm. Um, think about staff, current and future talent. You know, it's, it's quite rare that a marketer will come to you and say, we want to run a campaign that addresses uh, a need to, to improve our employer brand. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, current and future staff are going to affect the success of your business probably just as much as whether you make mm. you know sales or not, um, in not, you know depending on the type of business you are, you might have policymakers that are super important to you. A policy gets created that that effectively shuts down your line of business. Like that could be disastrous. So so keeping policymakers happy and influencing them could be really important. So I think the trend I've seen is that it's all about kind of the the audiences that affect sale mm -hmm. and we we as as well b2b brands have almost forgotten that wider stakeholder importance but even within the um uh the audiences that affect the sales that you make that's definitely broadened out there's almost like a primary a secondary tertiary uh audience within the buying committee yes now, i would say yeah and i think i'm i'm really interested to expand the conversation now and we'll look at that sort of 
wider, wider stakeholder group, which definitely is is neglected. But if we're first just to focus in around the the, the sales decision or however mm-hmm. we want to sort of talk about it there, what are your observations about the power dynamics with, within that? Because I, th- I think, and I've, I'm, to be honest, this is based on some anecdotal sort of observation as well. Um, people often underestimate or overestimate, say, the power that the finance team have within a decision which doesn't actually relate to to finance. And you do get these different sort of stakeholders. So what is your assessment of those power dynamics within decision making that marketers need to be conscious of when they're thinking about both these content of their communications, but also potentially the delivery of those? Yeah, I think the the power dynamic absolutely I, I have the same gut feeling has changed mm. over the years. We've also, uh, Raconteur's just gone and done a piece of research to go and find out by just how much and, mm. and in which ways, which perhaps we'll come on to later. But I think um, where where we see greater complexity or, or, or where there are changes is the interdepartmental collaboration. De- decision-making seems to have become a lot more egalitarian, um, which I think which I think is a trend that mirrors how businesses have changed mm. generally. You know, the... The thought of an organisation where the CEO makes a decision on everything, and it's he, you know he or she uh, makes a call and just says, "Well, this is what we're doing because mm. this is what I believe," feels quite old school now, mm. doesn't it? Right, and I, and I think that that maps the way that the world is heading. Equally, you know, as a decision maker myself, I know that my approach is always to try and build consensus. You obviously have to make tough calls from time to time, um, but going through the process of uh, listening to other people's opinions. Uh, has has lots of different value to it. So um, obviously you want to make the right choice. Your head is, your neck mm. is on the line if if you choose something and it, and it goes the wrong way. So if you listen to the needs of the different people and, and hopefully a diverse group of people who have different uh, differences of opinions on things, you're more informed either collectively or, mm. or as a solo decision maker to then make the right choice. Um, Additionally, if you involve people in the decision-making process, regardless of whether you choose the thing that they agree with or not, I think they're far more likely to back your decision because they will feel listened to and hopefully you will have given them feedback about why you didn't choose the route that they wanted to go down with something, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of there's lots of clear benefits to um, a more consultative approach to decision-making, um, but it's definitely throwing up a lot of complexities in terms of understanding how that decision making happening uh, happens, and that's across, you know, the overall size of decision making teams within businesses, particularly uh, medium to large enterprises. Um, there's there's stuff on, um, like I said, the interdepartmental collaboration. We're getting more business units weighing in decisions nowadays that perhaps they didn't used mm. to, and then finally the role of seniority is is uh, I think changing quite dramatically it is no longer the most senior person that makes the final decision necessarily on any different any mm. given product or service i think it's it's fascinating in terms of this idea of the democratization of decision making and i can absolutely see how for sort of wider macro trends within both the world in general and also the world of work are contributing to that more egalitarian sort of way of doing things to to use the word that you use there. But I suppose I'd be interested to hear your perspective on what are the downsides of that? Because I think it's quite a well sort of understood that decision making by committee is not the most efficient way of doing things and often it results in compromise. 
Do you feel that the, the, the sort of the direction of travel at the moment is actually slowing down decision making and less, making us less decisive? Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, uh, the research that we've just done, there are four key takeaways uh, for me, or there are four implications. One are, one is for businesses themselves, one is for business leaders, one is for the B2B brands trying to get in mm. front of them, the other one is for B2B media. So the first one of that, which is for the businesses themselves, essentially like the headline figure from the research is modern B2B decision-making is chaos, <laughs> right? Um, and and what that means is, is because everything's getting bigger, decision-making groups are getting bigger, everyone wants to take less risk, mm -hmm. less mm -hmm. solo risk. They want to get more people's opinions. The decision-making groups are getting bigger, they're getting messier, they involve different people from different departments. From a business point of view, there is a point where that becomes deeply inefficient. Um, at what point are there too many people involved in a decision? And I also know from my personal experience, and I'm sure your listeners will echo with this, like when you go down the path of trying to get group consensus, sometimes you end up with 50% of people wanting to do one thing and 50% mm -hmm. wanting to do another. Now that makes it very difficult to take the next step forward um, because you're going to piss off half the people regardless of what you decide, right? <laughs> and that then makes you go, okay, we need to think about this some more. Let's all go away and do a bit more research, yeah. come back together in two weeks' time and see where we're at. So, so what you're doing is slowing down the decision-making process. Um, so whilst I'm not a fan of the old way of doing things, and I'm certainly not the type of CEO myself who will just make a decision and just run with that regardless of what mm. anyone else thinks, the old way is definitely simpler. Um, what we have to do as businesses is keep an eye on what's going on within our, our businesses when it comes to decision making. At what point does the size of the group and the cross-departmental collaboration and the role of seniority start just becoming a real old mess? And how do we bring in, I don't know, systems or controls to bring that back down to an, an efficient way so that we can make the right decisions and good decisions, but also not really drag our heels around them? I mean, I think that there's, it was interesting uh, listening that. I mean, I think you, you talked around sort of that we've, what we've done or what has happened rather, not what we've done. There has been a problem that has been created around decision making. And actually sort of talking, there probably is the opportunity for, as you say, processes or services or even products, which actually can speed up um, decision making. But if you, if you put that to one side and then you actually think about what good marketing is, good marketing is understanding the pain points or problems that your audience are facing and then positioning um, either the product or the service as a solution, or sometimes, and this is where it comes into the sort of the realms of the principles of content marketing, is to provide marketing which has an intrinsic value in itself to solving that problem. So it's interesting for me, is like, I wonder if marketers have realized the chaos of that decision-making and are thinking about how they can create marketing material and marketing programs which actually streamline the decision making because if they did understand okay well there's well, all these, these different stakeholders and there is this chaos how can i give those different stakeholders what they need to answer the question because one of the things which elongates that process and you spoke about it is that feeling that people don't have enough information and therefore well, well i need to go and do my own bit of research whereas actually if marketers can understand what the different information is for the different parties they can streamline that process, they can solve a headache, that elevates the brand in their position, puts them in a better position for the sale as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. But I, but I think from a marketer's point of view, like a more decision, uh, uh, admitting that decision-making is getting more complex and, mm. and is now very complex, it's a scary concept because I think we all know that different people in different departments at different seniority levels 
each approach decision making with different goals and objectives. Mm. Um, so you can't, you know, in the content marketing uh, way of looking things, you can't produce one piece of content or well, you can, but um, and lots try. But deep down, you probably know that you can't produce one piece of content that is going to engage a CFO, a head of procurement, a, a bunch of sales managers and, and whoever else mm. might be in the buying committee. Um, you need to produce different messaging uh, and, and, and ultimately different potentially formats and, and um, executions to attract and appeal to the needs and desires and goals of those different job titles and, mm. and functions and, and personality types potentially. Um, but that concept is a bit scary, right? Because you've only got a set budget. And if I start coming to you, well, you need to produce lots of different stuff for lots mm. of different people you're going to start going, oh, well, I can't. What am I going to do? I don't know. I'm a bit, I'm a bit lost, right? But it's what's like the pragmatic solution then? Uh, well, I, I think putting the thought in first and foremost mm. um, is, is still probably the, the most important step. And then it's about thinking, okay, well, uh, we, we still agree that a certain job role in certain function is probably more often than not the most important decision maker but how can we supplement that with additional activity or supporting mm. activity that broadens it out so that we're not putting all of our eggs in a basket that might not always be the right basket to use an analogy i've just made up on the spot <laughs> <laughs> i don't think you made up eggs in basket a basket that's the wrong basket bit anyway okay cool thanks yeah. for clearing that one up um now I'm doing it. I'm take take us back a little bit to uh, how you started. Um, uh, you know, talking about some of the concepts you're talking about, and you you talked about actually that sales people being on the front line, they've got that maybe that they, they have that proximity, so they've got that understanding of the different you know stakeholders within sort of that that buying decision and that that complexity. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's something which marketing needs to learn from sales or actually sales also still have a degree of naivety when it comes to the complexity? Uh, well, look, from, from personal experience, like I said, I, I always used to think of it in a, in a relatively simple way. Uh, I remember drawing uh, crosshairs all the time and, and thinking, who's my ultimate sign-off? Who's my expert within the business that I'm trying to sell to mm. on the thing that I sell? Who's the pe who are the people that use the product and service if I sell it to this company? Mm. And who can my allies be? Um, who can help my sales conversation along the way? So I think I think in in sales, um, you know, maybe we categorize things into slightly broader categories. When you when you perhaps get into marketing, i.e., you're doing stuff to try and get a return. Maybe you have to be a little bit more nuanced than that, and actually break it down into, like I said, departments, seniority uh, levels, job titles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think I think marketing has the opportunity to be more flexible and, and should be going after a broader audience that sales can then sort of take into um, their conversations and further along the funnel. And, and you talk around just to sort of move the conversation on, you talked around this importance of a, a broad audience. I think that one thing within B2B marketing, especially is because of the pressure on seeing sort of the return on investment and that, that pressure to sort of deliver leads or whatever it might be, um, the focus often does tend to be on a specific job role, highly targeted sort of activity mm -hmm. at often the expense of investing in brand sort of activation. Now, I think that is changing. It absolutely is is changing. And I think we're all seeing evidence of that, that understanding within B2B marketing. But given the 
number of different stakeholders that we're actually talking about. And that question I just asked you, what's the pragmatic solution, actually is investing in brand which has that further reach what marketers need to be doing to make sure that they're building that sort of awareness and building some of that sort of positive sentiment amongst a wider stakeholder group. Yeah, I agree. And, and look, um, brand awareness and lead generation go hand in hand, right? If you've got a great brand, it's probably quite a lot easier to generate leads further down the down the funnel. Um, so I think, yeah, taking a, a branded approach to that broad brush, like if mm. you map out your um, decision-making sphere or whatever you want to call it, um, you look at your the types of buyers that you have in different organizations, perhaps you target your brand awareness campaigns very much at a, at a much broader level, mm -hmm. um, but then you you specify uh, tighter criteria on those that you want to generate leads from, perhaps those that are, you know, in the top sort of one or two categories when it comes to being a decision maker, i.e. the people that are either the final sign off mm -hmm. or the mm -hmm. people that are making the final recommendation on a, on a product or service. Um, that said, you know, there is an argument to say uh, taking taking some lead generation campaigns and, and perhaps a segment of your budget to experiment at least with perhaps the user category. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, we've got to remember that, that sales conversations or, or why organizations start looking for solutions is usually driven by pain. So the user community, the people that are frustrated with the software that a business currently uses mm. and want something better are great people to start a sales conversation in a in a to look for a different product or service because if you get them whinging hard enough to the people that be then you know uh, something might develop from there. Well, look, I mean, we are now tight for time, sadly. So I do need to move on to squeeze in our final but very very important question. Mm -hmm. um, now, what we do with everyone that comes on B two B Market Talk, the truth is um, we ask them when was the last time that you saw a piece of marketing, a piece of advertising, any form of sort of communications, really, that you really felt in your guts. That sort of idea of something that moved you on a deep emotional level. Now, ideally B2B, but equally, we're very, very much sort of open to be learning from things that we're seeing within the wider world and B2C as well. So, Will, when was the last time you saw something that moved you on a visceral level? Do we mean other than your recent guest on the podcast, Aidan Scusa? Because that, I mean, that moved me. I mean, listen, and I don't want to plug it. If we want to plug it, if we want to plug it, we can plug it. That, this, that, this, this, this filmed in this very room. You are it's, in the Aiden Scooser chair. Do you know what? Well, the first thing I would say, and I was asked this question also recently in a in a in a Q and A for something else. Um, uh, tell me about a, a brand that you think, um, in a B two B context, does marketing very well in a in a in a downturn or in tough economic times. And I'll be honest, I couldn't immediately think of anything. I think when we try and answer this question. And I can remember plenty of examples from the COVID period where I think quite a lot of brands um, hit the right note in terms of like community and people coming back together. That's what we had missed through lockdown. There's a lot of that type of advertising that I felt hit the right note. And then everyone tried to jump on the same mm -hmm, bandwagon mm -hmm. and, and, and deliver the same message. But the ones that, that led the way on that, um, again, you're going to push me for an example, aren't you? But I think... I'm sure there was one from Cisco that was about connecting people in a, in a remote world, you know, open goal for them, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, but I think it's so much easier to remember uh, consumer campaigns. And I think there's something in that which says that as B2B, you know, B2B brands are not brave enough or emotive enough to have that lasting memory. Like, you know, I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you um, 
maybe it's because I don't look at enough advertising myself, <laughs> but I, I can't off the top of my head give you give you a great answer to that question. But That's I would, fine. I you fudged, you that... fudged it. You've said Cisco. Also, we'll let you off because you plugged our <laughs> parody version of. But the I, I think if, if there's it, not that, but... if there's not that, I look at a lot of advertising. If there's not that much in B two B that is like truly memorable, <clears> surely the problem's not with me. It's with B two B. You're in part of B two B, so <laughs> you know, be part of the solution, not the problem. Yeah. Um, but in some respects, actually, I mean, from what you're saying there, I think ties in quite nicely with what we've just been speaking about, and. If we think about the importance now of influencing a much broader, more diverse set of people, taking a hyper-targeted approach, as was traditionally done, is not going to cut it. Now, that shouldn't be dismissed because there does need to be that type of targeted approach. But it really does make the case for how you can invest in bigger brand building activity. Mm -hmm. If we think about one of the sort of the the reasons that you do brand building is because you want to increase the memorability of that brand. You want to exploit what's called the heuristic principle that your brand comes to mind at certain prompts. Mm -hmm. And if we're thinking about how those dynamics of decision-making might work within a business that a heavily invested stakeholder needs to then engage broader stakeholders within the group, it's a very, very difficult, different conversation if they are introducing the idea of working with a brand that the wider stakeholders have heard of than someone that's coming from obscurity. And, you know, I strongly, strongly believe that those brands that invest in brand building, it's a much easier persuasion to make for that wider stakeholder group. Um, and I think also, and you talked about it in terms of the, the ease of lead generation, um, I've certainly seen data which supports the idea that you have a strong brand, it's cheaper, it's more efficient, it's more effective to generate leads. So actually there is, you know, there are multiple levels you can see that sort of return on investment. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for coming in. I think it's been a really, really interesting conversation. No problem. Um, and I, I really do hope that this opens up marketers' eyes in terms of the importance of really taking a wide-angle lens when we look at decision-making, making that effort of plotting out those different stakeholders, thinking about their different and often competing needs, and then just, just applying some logic to how can we actually reach them, how can we persuade them. So, Will Brooks, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Billy. B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.